1: To find out if it's right for you.
0: The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation, Botox Cosmetic, Ata Botulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in
2: adults. Or Lambert Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300.
0: See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
2: This episode may contain content not suitable for some audiences, including crimes against children, mentions of suicide, descriptions of a graphic nature, and adult language at times. Listener discretion is advised.
3: At around 4pm on the 21st of September 2001, 32-year-old Aidan Minter was walking his usual route back home over Tower Bridge in central London. It was Friday afternoon and usually... The area would have been filled with people, but since the 9-11 attacks had taken place a little over a week prior, not everyone felt comfortable being around major landmarks, and Aidan was crossing the bridge alone. While he was walking, Aiden looked into the River Thames and saw driftwood floating around, and then something else... About 20 feet away, there was something that looked like a beer barrel, but not quite. As Aidan got closer, he realised he was not looking at a piece of wood, but the torso of a little boy. You are listening to True Crime Britain. Join me, Rhiannon, each Wednesday as I tell the solved and unsolved stories of some of the most disturbing, mysterious and heartbreaking crimes committed throughout the United Kingdom. Welcome to this week's episode. The Metropolitan Police arrived at the scene soon after and the torso was pulled from the river near London's Globe Theatre. The only piece of clothing the boy had on was a pair of bright orange shorts from Kids and Company. The subsequent autopsy concluded that the torso belonged to a black child aged between five and seven years old. The boy's throat had been slit, and his head, arms and legs carefully removed with a sharp-bladed instrument, most likely post-mortem. The pathologist, Mark Heath, concluded that the torso had been in the water for up to 10 days and had been placed there within 24 hours after the boy's death. The Metropolitan Police, together with the help of ocean graphers, determined that the likely location where the Torso had entered the River Thames was somewhere between Chiswick in West London and the Thames Barrier in East London, given an approximate 12-mile radius. The investigators gathered as much CCTV footage from this area as they could, but they were unable to find anything significant. The investigation into the death of the little boy was given the codename, Operation Swalcliffe. As it was clear it would take time to find out the identity of the child, Commander Andy Baker informed the public that they had started calling the boy, Adam. He added that the police and the whole community of London now acted as the child's family until his real family could be found. Unfortunately, when the police went through all the missing persons report, they found no matches, and even if there were some potential ones, DNA tests eventually ruled them out. Meanwhile, more autopsy results came in. Mark Heath said that Adam's body had been completely drained of blood but he had been healthy and well taken care of when he was still alive. However, Mark also found cough medicine in Adam's stomach and small intestine. Did this mean that the boy had had a sore throat or a cold just before his death, and if somebody had cared enough to treat him, how had he ended up in the River Thames without his head or limbs? Mark also found traces of some other substance, but it had to be sent off for further analysis. It also determined that Adam's head and limbs had been cut off so precisely, it had to have been done by someone with knowledge of the human anatomy, perhaps even a surgeon. Other than that, the only evidence the police had were the orange shorts. Those shorts were traced back to a batch of 820 pairs that were made in China, but had been sold at 320 Woolworth stores around Germany. Furthermore, this specific model of shorts had come to the shops only a few weeks before Adam's death. Following the lead outside the UK, the Metropolitan Police eventually contacted their counterparts in the Netherlands, who shockingly informed the investigators that there had been a similar case. The dismembered body of a young girl had been found on a beach in Njolde on August 27, 2001. Due to the mutilation and level of decomposition, it took months to identify the girl, while the possible link to Adam's case was investigated. Eventually, thanks to a reconstruction of the girl's head based on the skull was published in the media, several people recognised her as four-year-old Rowena Rickers. It was soon found out that Rowena's mother and stepfather had fled to Spain. They were then tracked down, and later confessed to abuse and Rowena's murder. The stepfather was convicted of manslaughter, and the mother for not intervening and reporting her daughter missing. But they didn't have anything to do with Adam's death. After this dead end, the investigators had to develop new theories. When the River Thames was searched again, the investigators made a curious discovery... The item they found looked like some kind of shrine with seven half burned candles wrapped in a white sheet. Written on that sheet and carved on the candles was the name Adecoia Joyfola Adioi. If the strange find was connected to the torso, could that be Adam's real name? Detective Inspector Will O'Reilly commented on the discovery by saying, We know with some certainty that the candles and the sheet form part of a ritualistic ceremony. We can't say if they are connected, but at the moment, we are linking them. Adam's case was definitely unique and a ritualistic perspective did not feel too far-fetched at all. For sure, it was something that modern London had never seen, and the public were shocked to hear about the possibility of a young child being killed for ritualistic purposes. But still, it could have happened. As the Metropolitan Police continued to investigate the lead, they found out that the sheets and candles belonged to a Nigerian family living in London who had celebrated one of their members who survived 9-11 in New York. The name of that person was Adekoya Joe Fola Adioi. Still, even though it was proven that the candles had nothing to do with Adam, the police were not ready to give up on the ritualistic murder theory. Consulting with the Investigative Psychology Unit of the South African Police Service, the investigators soon learned about muti. Muti is a South African term derived from the Zulu word for tree, amuti, which means traditional medicine. The people, the traditional healers who practice Muti, are called Sangoma. Using different kinds of potions, these healers treat people and their issues with body, mind, and spirit. Usually, the potions are made of plants and herbs, but in some more complex cases, animal parts are required. But even that doesn't always fix the problem or bring the desired effect. And when that happens, those who have money and a strong enough need for muti to work go to the Sangomas, who are willing to use the most powerful ingredient there is for their potions, human body parts. According to the belief system, Each person is born with a certain amount of luck and as they get older, that luck is used and some run out of it faster than others. For that reason, it is believed that young children are the quote, luckiest ones and their bodies hold the most power. This is where the mutie murder of children come in. Unfortunately, Those Sangomas, who believe in human muti, may take the body parts from the victims while they are still alive because their screams make the muti more powerful. This kind of practice can sound like it has to be something that only a small group of people do. And it is true that many of those living in South Africa condemn human muti completely and do not want anything to do with it. But statistics show that as many as one in five people in the rural areas of South Africa have first-hand experience with muti, which include human body parts. It is unfortunately common, but it isn't necessarily what happened to Adam
2: Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
3: The Investigative Psychology Unit told the Metropolitan Police that they did not believe that Adam's death was a result of a muti murder. Their opinion was based on the fact that Adam's internal organs and his genitals had not been removed. Genitals in particular are considered very powerful and a source of good luck, so Sangoma would have definitely harvested them. But still, feeling that Adam had died in some sort of ritualistic sacrifice, the police contacted a local Sangoma named Credo Mutwa, to ask his personal opinion. According to Credo, Adam was indeed not a victim of muti murder, but his death had been a result of a type of human sacrifice common in West Africa among the Yoruba people, one of the three largest ethnic groups of Nigeria. Credo, also, told the officers that the bright color of Adam's shorts was significant and linked with resurrection in that culture. However, Credo's credibility was later questioned as he was widely considered a con man and a fraud in South Africa. Nevertheless, when the Met police returned to London, they invited Dr. Hendrik Scholz from South Africa to perform a second autopsy on Adam. In his conclusion, Dr. Scholtz said, It is my opinion that the nature of the discovery of the body, features of the external examination, including the nature of the wounds, clothing, and mechanism of death, are consistent with those of a ritual homicide as practiced in Africa. In addition, Dr. Scholtz believed Adam had been beheaded whilst he was still alive, so that his screams strengthened the power of mutie. But as the pattern had already shown, other experts then concluded that Adam had been sacrificed, but not for mutie. As the opinions went back and forth, the Met police again travelled to South Africa, and requested help from former South African President Nelson Mandela. But despite a widespread appeal, no new information emerged. Then, around July 2002, a forensic geologist at the Royal Holloway in London, Kenneth Pye, performed isotope analysis on Adam's bones and according to the results, the boy was not born in the UK. Instead, it was confirmed that Adam was most likely from West Africa, more specifically, from somewhere between Kano and Jaws and the highlands of Cameroon or Yoruba. Further carbon-level analysis ...concluded that Adam had been in the UK for less than six months. While the experts continued their tests... ...the police received a major lead. In 2002... ...social services in Glasgow... ...alerted the authorities of a Nigerian woman named Joyce. Apparently... The social workers had found suspicious items from Joyce's home, including a jar filled with chicken feathers. And when her two children were taken from her, Joyce said that she needed them back soon for ritualistic purposes. Interestingly, during the police interviews, Joyce revealed that she had lived in Germany with her estranged husband until mid-2001 and that was where Adam shorts come from. Joyce also told the officers that her husband was actually the head of a cult named the Black Coat Eyes of the Devil Guru Maharaj. Further claiming that this man was responsible for the deaths of at least ten children. However, Joyce denied that she knew Adam, and DNA tests eventually proved that the two were not related. So despite the promising new lead, the investigation once again hit a dead end. Another startling conclusion came in October 2003, when samples of material found in Adam's gut were tested. Experts found small amounts of the kalaba bean, known as the doomsday plant. This plant is traditionally used in witchcraft ceremonies in West Africa and causes paralysis while the victim still feels pain. Another discovery was round-up seeds from the Datura plant that acts as a sedative and can cause hallucinations. The mixture that was given to Adam shortly before his death would have left him helpless, but he still would have been aware of what was happening, further strengthening the theory of a ritualistic sacrifice. Years later, In 2011, after her deportation to Nigeria, Joyce spoke with a British journalist and claimed Adam's real name was Ikpomwosa and that she had brought him from Germany to the UK and handed him over to a man called Bauer. But considering Joyce was suffering from mental health issues, and her story again changed a couple of years later. Her statements weren't the most reliable. Furthermore, the police never did find any concrete evidence to support Joyce's claims. Still, Joyce went on to identify Bauer from a photograph. This man happened to be Kingsley Ojo, a police informant who had conducted rituals for fellow inmates during his time in prison. Kingsley had been part of a criminal network whose operations included crimes such as sex trades, people smuggling, benefit fraud and domestic slaves. In 2005, he was released from prison after offering to help with the investigation. But Kingsley ended up accusing Joyce of Adam's murder and even claimed he had a recording of her confession. But in the end, Kingsley proved useless to the police and he was deported back to Nigeria in 2008. And that brings us to today. Adam was eventually laid to rest in an unmarked grave. ...in a London cemetery... ...but we still do not know his real name. Adam's limbs and head have never been found... ...and since 2013... ...there has been no significant progress in the case. On the 21st of September 2021... ...exactly 20 years after the discovery of his body the Met Police launched a fresh appeal to find Adam's killer and to give the little boy his identity back. But unless someone comes forward and reveals who this little boy was, we might never know the real story of Adam. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and thank you for your kind messages of support, feedback, positive reviews, and of course, your patience. I really do appreciate it, and I love reading what you have to say. For transcripts, photos, credits, and resources relating to today's episode, please visit www.truecrimebritain.com. If you'd like to access things like ad-free, early release and bonus episodes, I'd love you to consider supporting the show by joining me on Patreon, where you could get access to all that and even more rewards from just £1 a month. You can join now by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Britain or see the episode description. Don't forget, you can also like, follow, and or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a future episode. There are some big cases coming up and I wouldn't want you to miss out. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube for regular case updates. Just search for True Crime Britain. If you're already supporting me on Patreon, you can find next week's episode already there waiting for you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and please stay safe.
2: If you have any information relating to any of the cases featured on this show, you can contact the police on 101 or Crime Stoppers Anonymously on 0800 555 111. For more information, please visit our website at www.truecrimebritain.com where you can find further details.